How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins, brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Welcome to Chasing Giants, episode 28. Um, this is Terry Peer. I got Don Higgins with me. It is August 21st, Don. It's getting closer, Terry. It's almost time. It is almost time. Um, we um, we usually are connected um, um, by phone, but tonight um, I'm actually in Illinois. So we're up here at the uh, up here at the shop and sitting around doing this in person tonight. Sitting just a few feet from each other. That's a little bit different, but yep. we'll be doing a lot more of that as season comes along. Yeah, as season comes along, I'm in town a whole lot more, and um, if I'm hunting here close to Don's, I can stay here, and he's got accommodations that are very nice for me when I'm in town. And if I'm staying about an hour east of here, he he comes over every once in a while and has a good steak at – at the local steakhouse next to the hotel, so yep. we we usually uh, can have time to hook up with each other. So we're we're closing in on the end of August. What's uh, what's been going on with you? Uh, you know, I just continue to check trail cameras. I still got you know a handful that I have not checked yet, but uh, starting to get a pretty good handle on things and got some decent bucks spotted. Um, you know, it won't be long. About the first of September. I start shifting those cameras from uh, the summer feeding areas to the fall rutting areas, actually. And, um, you know, as those buck uh, bachelor groups break up and the bucks relocate, or at least some of them relocate, um, I try to get those cameras moved. In fact, it's kind of a tradition for me that Labor Day weekend, I usually spend moving trail cameras. And, uh, what, we're only about two weeks away from Labor Day weekend, I think. That's right. So uh, we're getting closer, but, uh, you know, as promised, uh, this episode, I'm going to give my buck forecast uh, for this season. Um, did that the last two years on my blog, on my website, which I shared on uh, uh, social media, Facebook and that. And uh, the last two have been very accurate. Um, you, know, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but I run trail cameras over a pretty substantial area um, five or six counties here in central illinois where i live but i've also got cameras on a property in uh, indiana and, and in ohio and my property there so uh you know having 40 50 trail cameras scattered out like that you can get a pretty good idea you know how one year compares to other years and uh we're going to talk about that a little later but uh how's your leg healing up well i'm actually quite a bit ahead of schedule um i've been hobbling around we actually went to a farm today and pulled a card and i actually walked out around the soybean food plot i don't know how far of a walk that was but it was flat ground and i was able to do it um i was scheduled to be released to walk without crutches the 
early to mid-September, and I got released to do that last week and got released to drive this week. So that's why I came up here. This is my – I was getting the itch because I've been cooped up so long, so I jumped in the vehicle and drove up here. And uh, so surgery I'm, – I'm, I'm probably three weeks ahead of schedule right now, so I still have to be extremely careful – with walking on unlevel ground and uh and doing stuff getting getting up and down off of um like you got a ton truck an f-350 and i gotta work and be really really careful about getting in and out of it but i'm i'm ahead of schedule of where i need to be well i knew you was hard-headed enough that uh, by the time the kentucky season opened you was going to find a way to be in the woods so uh, i'm not a bit surprised <laughs> it was funny i uh i was in therapy on tuesday this week and at the end of therapy, the uh, the physical therapist looked at me and said that I had enough um, strength in my quadricep that she goes, I, I think we've finally gotten to where you can drive because every time I go in there, I, I ask them when I can drive. And that was right at the end. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. Can't wait to share the news. And so she walked me out to the door because of COVID. We have to walk out a different door for an exit. And my car was parked right in front of the door, and I got in the driver's seat, and <laughs> she figured out that I'd already driven to therapy <laughs> that day. So, yeah, but uh, but no, I I really appreciate all the comments and support from everybody. Um, it's it's definitely a tough road. It's it's a grueling therapy to to get through, but uh, uh, I'll be ready to hunt here in two weeks. There's no doubt about it. Well, hopefully, it don't take you long to fill your tag, and by October first, you're hunting in Illinois. Yeah, that's that's the plan. Yep. So the uh I came up actually uh yesterday and uh I I said after I got hurt and we started talking and trying to figure out how this was going to work out that the uh that the quiet cat was going to be a blessing and uh believe it or not I rode the quiet cat yesterday and checked all the trail cameras on the farms that that myself and a friend uh Patrick Hunt I rode that thing three and a half miles yesterday uh, around river bottom farms and big soybean fields and it's not what that piece of equipment is made to do it's made to pedal with an electric assist, assist. but uh, I was able to just throw my leg up over it set on the seat and not pedal and just use the electric all the way around the fields and uh, you know I wouldn't have been able to do that yesterday without that so I just put it in second gear I got the single speed version so I put it in second gear and just put it around about seven eight miles an hour and took my time and made sure I didn't run into the levee or something and wreck but uh but yeah it was it was definitely a, a real blessing to have it to run around on here the last couple of days well those things may be made with a pedal assist but I can tell you this old fart has pedaled about three <laughs> times since I've had mine <laughs> we were actually we were actually driving around tonight uh right before the sun went down and you were showing me the actual field you talk about where you drive it through the through the soybean field i forget how far you said it was even across that field but it's a half a mile long field and then i go a quarter mile across the end of it and you know what amazes me is those soybeans are up so tall that they're hitting my hands on the handlebars and uh yet on those 30 inch rows you, you don't you don't come out of there with with a leaf on you i mean you don't tear up a thing and there's just no no other machine you could do that with and that that electric bike just goes right down those 30-inch rows. And, yeah, the, the beans are rubbing on your legs on both sides and hitting your hands, but you're not hurting those plants whatsoever. Right. And well, you the, wouldn't have been able to even check that camera without it. I mean, you're not walking that far out no. across that bean field. 
So maybe when you were younger. Yeah, yeah. not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. Right. So, um, but yeah, they, they it really came in handy. Um, I actually have to go to um, on the way back to Kentucky. The next two days, I have uh, work obligations around the Indy 500, so I actually laid it down in the back of my SUV on the seat instead of using the rear carrier because I'm going to have to stay in a hotel one night, Saturday night in Indy, so I didn't know how that was going to work with me having it out on the bike rack, but uh, even by myself throwing it up in the in the back of the uh, SUV, it's it's been pretty easy, but um, I checked all the cameras. We got I found three potential shooters this week. Yeah, you had yeah. yeah. You showed me that picture. You had three shooters in one picture. in one frame. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of shifting going on in bachelor groups. You, you know, when you got potential of three potential uh, whoppers, um, kind of gets you a little bit more motivated and excited. That was the first card pull we've done in Illinois this year. Mm-hmm. Um, because I got hurt, we didn't have cameras out this early. So, so something to look forward to. Yeah. Well, how's your cell cam test going? Well, the cell camera test is going all right. The idiots on social media that keep <laughs> you got me wound up, and we're only we're only nine minutes in. You know, I mean, it it, it is what it is. I, I I don't know why I didn't expect any more, but you know, the purpose of my test was to take the lower price point cameras that everybody on social media is raving about that I had no familiarity with, and test them, and. I guess to begin with, I'm biased anyway because I still believe, and it's not a paid endorsement. I mean, we got we we we've gotten on here and talked bad about them, but I still believe the Reconyx is the best camera out there, um, as far as taking quality pictures, trigger speed. But I understand that the price point of that camera is so high that a lot of people can't do it. But my goal in this test, there's a place for every one of these cameras with different consumers. What I just wanted to do is say, this camera has this bookends of capability. Know what you're spending the money for. Because these pro staff peoples get out and says, oh, this is the best camera ever. Well, this is the best camera. Nobody's ever ran them side by side. And that was my only goal with this. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that these six that I'm testing right now, I'm going to be able to say which one's the best because the the one that is the best is the one still working three years from now. And we're not going to be able to wait that long before people want conclusions. So there's been some obvious things that I like and don't like about these cameras. But you got to realize the lowest price point camera is that uh, Tacticam Reveal at $100. And the high point is about $325, $350. So you're, you're getting different things for what you pay for. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I have learned through studying up on how to test is this misconception that megapixels that they advertise on the outside of the box doesn't mean clearer pictures. And I think I really encourage people to not fall for that trap. It's almost back to like what people do with real world, um, saying they're a better quality seed, but when you look at the seed tag, it's all inoculant or seed coating. Mm-hmm. You know, what it really comes down to is the sensor on that lens. And, you know, a high-end sensor is a 5-megapixel sensor and like uh for instance the stealth cam they're advertising over 20 megapixels well you're not even getting close to that to the cam the file that gets sent to you and there's there's a lot of good stuff out there that's even 
you know, that I'm not smart enough to figure out. But people got to realize when you get up in those real high-level uh, size files, all they're really doing is they're layering the same pixel over the top of each other. So if you go and talk to even like the guys at Exodus or Browning, they're telling you to back the quality down setting on the camera, you know, to 5 megapixel, 6 megapixel, and you'll actually have clearer pictures um, because you're closer and you're not layering those pixels on top of each other, and that comes in play at night. So um, if anybody's got any questions, I've found a lot of research on it's not the size of the file. It's the the... Um, quality of the sensor on that lens that really sets those cameras apart but unfortunately you can't really advertise that on the back of a box because the average consumer won't understand it it's really hard to tell that story so the gimmick in the marketing on the cell cameras is to say 18 megapixel 20 megapixel so you lay you lay a 2 megapixel and a 12 or 16 megapixel picture together they'll probably be the same clarity so if, if anybody's got any questions about that, you can send me a private message on social media and I'll forward you the links to some of the stuff I've found. Um, the, the other thing that I've noticed is the construction of these cheaper built cameras. There's, I, I don't want to be biased this early, but I'm, I, I come from a manufacturing background and the quality of these things aren't going to last. And you, you, people have to understand that you know, right now I'm getting really good pictures from a couple of the ones that I'm surprised at, but I'll be really surprised if they last a long time. And for some consumers, that's okay. You know, they'll use them for a year or two and buy another one versus buy a four to $600 camera. But part of this test is understanding that. I can tell you that um, I took a lot of heat from a couple individuals because, heaven forbid, I used a wire tie, a zip tie, to, to mount a camera to a T-post. And the only reason I did it is we have a long, narrow alfalfa field that I could space these cameras 20, uh, 18, 20 yards apart. Because if we stack night pictures on top of each other, that IR flash interferes with each other. So one of those cameras is getting the short end of the stick, right? It's either going to trigger at the wrong time or be blurry. So I was able to take one alfalfa field that the deer walk all the way across all face the same direction, have the exact same weather, same conditions, but it's a high tensile electric fence. So guess what? I used a wire tie, and and you people are idiots. <laughs> they got offended because heaven forbid I used a wire tie, which is an unconventional way to fasten a trail camera to something as part of the test. I guess I missed that one. Didn't? Oh, what's Good wrong dream. with the? I don't know. I mean, I'm always trying to learn more. Why would they be opposed to? Uh, well, it's not the right way, Don. They've never heard of that. And, and, I mean, every redneck in the world knows a wire tie and duct tape. You can fix anything. So, <laughs> But anyway, I mean, one of the cameras I even – what started it is I think this guy's favorite camera that he used, I put a wire tie through it by hand, and when I pulled to tighten it, it actually broke the back of the case where the strap usually goes. Mm. So I mentioned it in, in part of the review is this is something that, I'm concerned about because guess what your cable lock goes through the back same area so what that tells me is if if somebody wanted to steal your camera it's just a good tug in the in the back half of the case breaks off mm -hmm. but oh, I, I offended people because I'm using wire ties to 
That's the trail camera. Well, you hang around me, you're going to offend a lot more people before <laughs> you're done. <laughs> so, I mean, right now, um, you know, the I think the higher price cameras, the Wise Eye, the Browning, and the Exodus are probably taking a little bit clearer pictures. But, um, you know, I'm in no way uh, ready to, you know, start drawing conclusions. And my conclusions aren't, again, they're not going to be which one's the best. It's to help people understand you know, what are you getting for for this price point? Mm-hmm. And and like with a stealth cam, for example, you know, you're not getting 22 megapixel clear pictures to your phone. You're getting pictures that are accustomed to a $100 cell camera to your phone. And they people just have to understand that. So that's the goal of the test. Well, you know, one thing that I've noticed on these uh, trail camera posts, if you will, um, everybody's got a favorite, and every brand has fans. Mm-hmm. And from what I've, from my experience, the, those cheaper cameras are not consistent. In other words, you can get one of those cheaper cameras and it'll work fantastic out of the box. And the next one is junk out of the box. Right. And uh, th- there's just not consistency in the manufacturing or whatever. Um, so I, I think, and the other thing that I've noticed is that some consumers i think as long as they they take the camera out of the package and it works and it takes a picture they think man this thing's great it's working they don't realize what they've missed how many pictures they've missed right and until you hang a camera next to a good camera you you really don't know i mean you may go out and you have 300 pictures in four days and you think wow this is this thing's working fantastic but you set another really good camera next to it and it might have a thousand pictures in that same time and, and and like I said, people have different objectives, but we were talking tonight about a specific buck that we're not talking about a whole lot yet, but it, it is a buck that we're watching. He doesn't like trail cameras, right? So you might get one or two chances at this. Yep. And if you don't have a camera that's going to give you what you need in that reliability. So, you know, and then, and then part of the other thing I'm looking at is customer service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and, and, and for all the listeners out there that heard on the podcast before where Don and I both vented about Reconyx cameras, I will give them credit. They reached out to us and, and, you know, explained, you know, where, I don't know if you want to call it a misunderstanding or their explanation for the way things were. They, they have reached out to us and, and tried to rectify it and tried to, tried to do that. So that's good on them. Um, you know, um, I think we still had a legitimate concern with it but um you know and then i've actually used three of the six cameras customer service already so that's good and bad that they were able to help with customer service but if i'm already calling them Mm -hmm. less than a week in trying to figure something out or fix something um but that's what they're there for is, is for customer service so the uh the interesting one though that that we've talked a little bit about that kind of has me a little bit of wondering is, is this wise eye, which wasn't a company that I was personally familiar with. A friend of mine recommended it to me, but that camera actually feeds pictures into a software management tool. Very similar to, I think what, what was the name of that one that we looked at that one time Deercast or something like that. But basically all your pictures get stored with data, wind direction, uh, barometric pressure, um, time and you can run reports inside of this whole thing. I do think that's one extra step in this price point of cameras that that company does offer that I'm intrigued about and to continue to learn. So, 
for those for those of you who have followed it on my social media, basically this weekend I've moved all six of those cameras from Kentucky to Illinois, and they're all on a 300-acre piece of property here in Illinois to start seeing what I see here in more traditional con- you know conditions instead of watching a 15-acre alfalfa field. You know, I, I've put them more in places that I need them. So, well, it'll be interesting to hear your feedback on each podcast here for a while to, you know, to see which other opinion. to see which other social media troll that's <laughs> complaining about wire ties and and yeah. then and and there's people still complaining because there's a brand out there that I didn't put in the test. Yeah, but. I paid for all the cameras. It wasn't like I called all these companies and said, send me a free camera so we can line them up beside each other. It's- well, what something I've learned over the years, Terry, is that, you know, 95-plus percent of the people on the Internet are great people. And you, you just got to ignore about, you know, less than 5%. Right. You know, it's less than 1 out of 20. It's probably like 2% that are they're either jealous or they, they've just got some kind of issue and every once in a while I'll, they'll catch me on a bad day and i'll rip into <laughs> one of them but for the most part i just either block them from my page or yeah. whatever but there has been a lot of people reach out and say they appreciate me doing because the mm-hmm. bottom line is i bought six cameras of my own money trying to help people that listen to this podcast mm-hmm. whereas i could have spent the same amount of money and went and bought three or four or three reconics, which is what I probably should have done for my own personal benefit. But, you know, I'm trying to help everybody else and, and people have been supportive of that, but yeah, yeah, it's, if it <laughs> wasn't for people, it'd be fun. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fun anyway. And you just gotta think of all the good people that, you know, listen to our podcast. I mean, the, the, downloads each each episode just keep growing and well, especially must, the last one they must have liked my rant last time because good grief we we got a ton of feedback and the downloads were crazy on that episode well i think the first two the first four days we had two and a half times as many downloads <laughs> as what we typically have in a week in the first week so i mean more than double in in less than in about half the time um so we're on the right track and we appreciate uh, those good folks that do listen and submit questions and and uh, support us and allow us to do this. So right. we can't let a couple bad apples ruin the whole, the whole thing. So. They probably all hunt in tree saddles. <laughs> I'm not even going. I'm not even going. I there. tried to tee one up for you tonight, and, yeah. and, and we're not even going to bite on that one. Well, so Don's the, trying to be good. Everybody, he's not. He's not biting tonight. Uh, nope. You, you've you've opened a can of worms, and I can't let it go. <laughs> the. Uh, you know, the interesting thing that happened to me since the last podcast was I was on a, uh, a particular page on social media that's full of these saddle hunters, and there was a, uh, you know, a meme on there, um, and all I did was, was copy the meme and share it on my page. Well, <laughs> you know, the crazy thing was it was fine on that other page, all, all these... <laughs> Love saddle guys were singing around, standing around, holding hands, singing "Kumbaya." This is great. I posted on my page, and they flip out and go berserk. <laughs> it was like a hundred and ten <laughs> comments within the first couple hours yeah, or it something. Was, it but. was crazy, but uh, they even made a couple of them mad. They quit following me and whatever. But it's just all in good fun. Yeah. If somebody can complain about me putting a uh, a wire tie or a zip tie through the camera on a T post, good grief, we can poke a little fun at, at saddle hunting for. 
And it's not like we really care. I mean, no, it's, it's just it's uh, all in good fun. And it, it was really just started as a way to pick on Wes. Yeah, that's what is really the funny part is it was an inside joke with, with us and Wes, and and it kind of snowballed from there, and a lot of people got their panties in a wad, and now they think we're anti-love um, swing or whatever you want to call it, love saddle, <laughs> tree saddle. <laughs> and really, we don't care at all. No, to each their own. I'm happy for you. So... Anyway, we better move on to something yeah, else. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. Well, my buck forecast. There we go. That, that's that's the meat and potatoes of this episode. We want to we wanna hear what you got here. Well, you know, the as I mentioned earlier, I, I've done this. This will be the third year. And, and basically, I've been running trail cameras, you know, a lot of trail cameras on a lot of different properties for many years now. And uh, a couple of years ago, I got the idea. And, and I don't remember if things looked really bleak that first year or really good. I think they looked really good. The first year was really good. And uh, because the I was. Year, the second year was the one you were worried about EHD. There you go. All them bucks disappeared. Yep. Um, but the first year, you know, that I wrote the blog, I'd noticed that summer that, uh, there was just more, you know, bucks, let's say over 150 inches. than I was typically seeing in an average year by, I mean, a significantly more. And I, I wrote that blog and I predicted that that was going to be a banner year, um, that a lot of guys were going to kill the biggest buck of their life that year. And I can't tell you how many responses I had in, people texting me or sending private messages or even commenting that, that it was spot on. And, uh, you know, even like late in the rut, you get around Thanksgiving time, those guys were saying, I seen your buck forecast last summer and, and I didn't know what to think of it, but after spending, you know, my whole vacation and, uh, you know, we're two months into the season, I think you were spot on. And, and then the next year there were several, uh, mature bucks that I knew had survived the previous season but uh, they had dis- I couldn't find them that summer. You know, I knew they survived and shed antlers, and I was still getting their pictures after season closed. And I, I would go to the places where I was getting those same box pictures in previous summers, like I typically do, and a lot of them disappeared. You know, on a typical year, you might have one disappear, maybe two, but I'm talking like eight or ten of these big bucks disappeared and never were never seen again. And I wasn't sure what happened, and I, I predicted, you know, I, I, I said that on there, and lo and behold, you know, I get all kinds of uh, comments back, you know, you're right, and, you know, we had these three bucks that we'd been watching and can't find any of them. I don't, we don't know what happened to them. They weren't where they usually are in the summer. So those, la- those last two forecasts were, were pretty accurate, I think. They're already the better feedback. than the weather, man. Well, you know, the weatherman, he's only got to be right about half the time. See, you're batting two for two already, so you're already ahead of him. Yeah, well – Today, I'm not going out on a limb near as much as I did the okay. last two years because from what I've seen so far uh, this summer, and uh, things look good. Don't get me wrong. They look good, but I think this is only going to be slightly above average. Um, I, I don't think it's a super year. I, I know of a lot of bucks that uh, did not add much. Um, horn growth, mature bucks. And I know some bucks that had uh, significant non-typical characteristics in the past that are cleaner this year, more typical. And I'm not just talking one or two bucks, but but you know several. Um, but but there's some there's also some really nice bucks out there too. I I think this year is going to be just a slight bit above average as far as uh, mature bucks or 
the size of, of bucks we can expect. There's a great crop of bucks. Um, you know, bucks over 140 inches, there's, it, it's a good year for, for those. I, I call them mid-range bucks, say bucks that are going to score from about 140 to 170. Right. There's a lot of those deer out there. Get over 170, and, and there's some of them out there too. There's some really good bucks out there. But I just don't see the, the bucks that I've been watching for multiple years, and there's a lot of them. It's just not like I'm watching three or four bucks. Um, I, I just don't see any of them. None of them have made significant jumps in antler score. None of them. So is that, is, I guess, from your experience as a hunter and a captive farmer, is that a result of weather, nutrition? Um, is there anything that we can correlate with that, or is it just how it ends up happening when we don't, when we see a, I mean, people have to understand the sample size of the bucks you're looking at isn't your home farm and 10 bucks. This right. is across three states and a ton, and we haven't talked about this before right now with the listeners on there, and I have two bucks on my farm in Kentucky that aren't, I guarantee you they're not one inch bigger than they were last year. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 they're, they're, I think it holds water, but is there any correlation in why? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question, a great question, because early in the spring I, I wrote a blog, and you can go to my website right now. It's on there, and, it, and I think the title of it was something like is 2020 setting up to be a super year for box or something like that. Anyway, back in early April, it looked like we were going to have an early spring. I'm talking like about the first week or so of April. The weather broke. Um, A lot of the farmers got their fields planted. Um, And I I was seeing deer out in those fields, uh, bucks with, with, you know, just the start of antler growth. And I thought this is exactly what we need um, to grow big deer. And then that good weather only lasted about a week or so and then boom it went right back to almost winter weather and for a month cold and wet yep exactly and it drug on well into may and i can tell you from from the captive deer side of things that uh that hot weather actually is good for antler growth because that velvet antler is full of blood vessels and those blood vessels are carrying nutrients to that growing antler. And in hot weather, those blood vessels expand, and uh, they're bigger. They're carrying more blood and thus more nutrients to that growing antler. In cold weather, they constrict, and they don't carry as many nutrients. Not to mention the, the row crops are delayed Yep. because the farmers that did plant mm-hmm. probably got flooded or – um, you know, rotted out in the field with with bad germ, and and they were even delayed. So the food sources were were even pushed out. That's another fantastic point because the farmer that farms my field planted uh, my soybeans during that short stretch in early April, and I've never seen soybeans take so long to come out of the ground. I'm telling you what, those soybeans took four weeks to pop out of the ground. I I would have swore those things would have rotted in the ground. But they'd been treated with a fungicide like we do the real-world beans. And by golly, them things came up, every one of them. But the thing, the great point you make, Terry, is it was delayed by a month. So that, that month when things went back to getting cold, those deer did not have a prime food source to feed on. And they also had that colder weather constricting their, their uh, blood flow in the, that growing antler. And that very well may have had something to do with it. But, you know, something that we need to throw out here as well 
is that uh, the weather across the, the Midwest was really spotty this year. I mean, we had, where I'm at, we had fantastic rainfall throughout the entire summer. Right. But then there was areas, and I, I seen a drought map. There was an area in, in Iowa where there was significant drought. And like I, Kansas I talked to, too, right? Yeah, and I talked to guys out that way, and like we're in the middle of a drought, and I'm like, you got to be crazy. We got six inches of rain last week. Right. We've got rain just about every week all summer. Yeah, and I know there's pockets of the country that if you looked at year-to-date rainfall, it doesn't look bad, but when they got 10 inches in a matter of a week and a half and then it's been dry ever since, that's mm-hmm. not good either. Right. But on paper, it might look like they've had decent rain. Mm-hmm. But those drought areas, you know, the, that's definitely going to – uh, impact antler growth so you know i'm saying from the areas that i've observed it looks to be slightly above average in terms of that there's there's no doubt in my mind there's going to be pockets where the antler growth is less than average and uh you know it's it's kind of regional right uh, so so the the other thing that that we haven't talked about much on the podcast is is EHD. Have you heard of any outbreaks of EHD anywhere this year? I have not heard of any EHD yet, but the we other need to find a wood to knock on, but Right, for sure. Um I, mean, I, I did find it wet and then dry, that's usually not a good sign. Right. As that water recedes, there's a lot of mud for those midge gnats, but the thing of it is there's still plenty of water sources so those deer are spread out, they're not congregated on a Good on point. a restricted water source, uh, all the creeks around here are flowing, and um, so the deer are not congregated like they typically are in a drought. But I did find a dead fawn this week along the creek on my property. Um, I was uh, doing some work, and I noticed these buzzards, you know, that just were were down in the brush and stuff. And I thought, well, that's got to be there's something dead there, and I wanted to see what it was, and it was a fawn. Right. I have no idea what killed it, but being along that creek makes me. A little concerned. Sure. Uh, I'm not super concerned, but uh, if I find another one, I'll, I'll be concerned. Well, I know yesterday when I took the bike down over the hill onto the river bottom, um, when I got down to the bottom, I looked over and saw 30 buzzards circling. And, I mean, my, my stomach just started turning in knots because I thought, oh, no, here we go again. But as I went around the corner, I'd realized that they had rolled hay down there. So, you know, I'm probably hit a rabbit, yeah, or something. rabbit snakes, you know, and, and maybe a fawn. I don't know, but uh, at least there was an explanation for it. But when are we, when do you think we're out of the woods on EHD talk? September, into September, well, maybe? Well, you, you know, really frost. the first frost, but uh, th- this sure doesn't appear to be a bad year for it because, I mean, we're here at the end of August, and usually you, by this time you're you're hearing about it. Right. So it it doesn't look to be – I mean, there's probably going to be some isolated outbreaks here and there, but it's not going to be widespread, I don't believe, like we've seen in the past. So two years ago, you you've in your forecast, you flat out said that there is going to be some absolute giants killed. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think there's probably going to be some very good bucks killed, but uh, but overall probably just average is where you're going. Yeah, there, there's always going to be giants. Um but that it's year just, you called it, there was it seemed like everywhere somebody yeah. was killing just a, a toad. Every year there's going to be some, but uh, you know I, I just see this as being an average year. There's going to be pockets where the, there's some a lot of good bucks. I think we're probably in one of the better pockets in the whole Midwest right here as far as the weather we got. 
Yeah. Um, I, I know there's places that are not as good. So so maybe maybe our listeners can when the when the podcast is uploaded on um your your obviously it's on podcast uh all of the different services out there like uh, Apple Podcast um and you know iHeartRadio and everything. But when you post it on on uh, Higgins Outdoors YouTube, maybe our listeners can you know kind of comment on what they've seen. Right. Yeah, you because know, like I said, I didn't even know what you were going to say tonight, but I'm sitting here thinking about it. The the two shooter bucks that is on my farm in Kentucky are the exact same size they were last year. Mm-hmm. There just isn't a lot. There's there was no growth. So I, I I've seen that a lot. You know, there was one particular three year old buck that that I had my eye on that I, I thought had the potential to be a giant and i i think the deer was probably as big at three years old as he is this year at four years old interesting uh, the, he can't there's he's within less than five inches of either way of what he was last year and uh you know i i was hoping that he had a big jump in him um a lot of other bucks that, that i can think of that you know, had non-typical stickers and things that smoothed up, and now they're just clean typicals. And not only bucks on my cameras, but I'm talking about bucks that friends have showed me. Here he was last year, and I was expecting more out of him. Here he is this year, and didn't really put on anything. So stupid question. So if if we if we look at say the delayed spring, the delayed crops, the, you know, not getting the blood flow. The genetics in that deer to have the non-typical points might still be there. It's just it didn't have the season of growth before the antlers harden and they shed before you started seeing the flyers and the kickers and all the trash and different things. But, you know, if you find that shed, you might see the little nub of where maybe something was starting. It just didn't have the time to develop it, just like beans don't have the time to maybe get as tall before they start maturing and putting on pods. Is that is that a... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The genetics are what they are. And, you know, just because they didn't have the growing conditions this year doesn't mean that next year they might come back and have more non-typical points sure. than they had the year before. So um, genetics being what they are, you know, nutrition is often what limits genetics, the genetic potential. Um, a buck may have the genetic potential to be 200 inches, but his nutrition intake may only may limit him to be a 180 inch deer um his genetics you know may allow him the opportunity to have you know six or eight extra non-typical points but the the nutrition is just not there for those points to develop so the interesting study that could be done is you know we've talked about fetal programming is in five years, what's our five-year-olds look like? Because this this year, those does in a very pivotal time when they're pregnant with those does, weren't maybe were not getting the nutrients they needed at the right time, or it was delayed a little bit. You know, it's mm-hmm. it'd be a, it'd be almost an impossible study, mm-hmm. but it's almost like think put that in the back of your mind. And what do we the the fawns that were born this year when we start looking at them at three years old? Do we see something different? Well, that's a good point because it's uh, that cold spell that we talked about that happened in April and, and went well into May. You know, that's the third trimester, the last last part of the pregnancy. That's when the nutrients are the most critical. Um, you know, any cattle farmer is going to tell you that last trimester is when that calf does the most growing, and that's when the nutrition is the most important. And, you know, this year it was it was lacking because of that late spring. Um 
you know, something interesting I'll throw out just uh, from my knowledge of, of captive deer industry. There's guys that raise captive bucks that when those bucks are growing their antlers and when they're in velvet, they'll have those bucks in pens where there's absolutely no shade. They don't want those bucks to be shaded. They want those bucks. Really? Yeah, they want them bucks want out them there. So, so that uh, those antlers are out in the sun warming up and it's, you know, um, not dial or yeah, dilating those uh, blood vessels and increasing the blood flow. Well, it's it's the same as what my physical therapy is telling me about my knee. You know, even though I swell and I get really really sore, and ice makes it feel better, I'm limited on how much I can ice because they want that blood flow going through mm-hmm. where they put the new ACL in to heal faster. And if I just sit on an ice machine all day long, I'm slowing that process down. So. Mm-hmm. Almost the same common thread there. Yep. Get those antlers out there where they're heated up by the sun and increases the blood flow, which increases the nutrient delivery to that growing antler. Okay. Buck forecast. Yep. There's still hope, though. Yeah, and I hope somebody don't say, well, he just kind of passed the buck because he said average. Well, I'm seeing slightly above average here, but I know that uh, there's going to be areas also below average, and it is what it is. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if 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 people start commenting. You know, uh, we'll we'll obviously share the podcast on our social media, and then it'll be uh, uploaded on YouTube here shortly. But um, you know, comment below and tell us what you've seen from from the bucks that you can identify from last year. Are they bigger, about the same, or if you've seen kind of the same thing that Don has? Yep, be a kind of an interesting feedback from all of our listeners. Yeah, I'd love to hear the comments. I'm sure they're going to be all over the board based on, you know, limited observations. My observations are limited, too. You know, this is far from a scientific uh, conclusion. It's just, you know, my observation based on my experience on a limited number of properties, although it's probably more properties than the average hunter um, gets to see bucks from. Sure. So... All right, well, um, you got anything else before we go into the biofarm segment? I think that pretty much covers it, Terry. All right, we're going to go to the biofarm.com property of the week. Biofarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. All right, this week's featured property is 65 acres in Shelby County, Illinois. Um Shelby County is an area where it is very difficult to find recreational properties. And the reason for it is Lake Shelbyville is a major tourist attraction. Um, It's an 11,000-acre lake um, run by the Army Corps of Engineers. It draws people from all over the country, uh, especially a lot of people out of the Chicago area, and these folks have come in, and they've bought uh, smaller properties around the county and in, and in the area and, uh, you know, put up summer homes, and some have even retired around here. So finding a property in Shelby County is very difficult. But this 65 acres includes about 50 or so tillable acres, which could be, uh, you know, enrolled in CRP or something like that. Um, the taxes on the whole place is, is only $701, so it's it's very reasonable. There's whitetail and turkey on the property right now, but the thing about this property is the potential that it has to be used so many different ways. You know, uh, you could keep that 50 acres tillable and have income from that 50. You could put it in CRP and have income. 
Um, you could develop it into a hunting property. You could uh, divide it with a friend, you know, and, and make it a, a vacation home um, because it's only a few miles, probably less than five miles from Lake Shelbyville and all the tourist activities there with the lake and everything. So uh, the the big thing I see about this property is its location in Shelby County. I, I can tell you I live in Shelby County, and Shelby, recreation properties in Shelby County just do not come along very often. And this is one. If you have any interest, you go to the biofarm.com website and look for the 65 acres in Shelby County. It's probably the only listing in Shelby County, actually. But anyway, the agent that uh, has this property listed is Danny Barker. And Danny's phone number is 217-827-5266. And uh, you tell Danny that you heard about it on uh, Chasing Giants. And uh, he'd be glad to show it to you. Um, but, but again, recreation properties in Shelby County are hard to come by and there's a lot more to do in Shelby County than just play on your own 65 acres. Uh, you got 11,000 acre lake that you can fish, um, boat, there's public hunting all around that lake. So, uh, plenty of things you can do. Yeah. So for, for the out of state people that, that don't know exactly where Shelby Shelby County is how would you describe it as far as relationship to bigger bigger towns yeah it's uh it's less than a, I mean it's probably about maybe 40 minutes at the most from Decatur uh it's probably about a little more than an hour from Champaign we're about three hours or so uh south of Chicago um so yeah. St. Louis, you know, we're about two two hours, probably less than two hours, probably about an hour and forty minutes or so from right. St. Louis. So, yep. for the people that's looking for something that gives you a basic geographic location of where it's at, and yep, you know, the the key in some of these properties is, you know, it's it's an investment that that sometimes is hard to make, but if you can recoup with some income by tillable, you know, with that tillable ground, whether it's CRP or a row crop, leasing it out, you know, at least you can help subsidize that payment a little bit and yeah, that's a great point terry i see these guys uh i mean just today we was talking about leases and, and all the guys <laughs> that are contacting us and do you know any place to lease do you know any place to lease we could make a living leasing ground if we had the ground but the ground just isn't available but you know you take a piece like this and people are think that you know i can't afford to buy a piece of ground well you you need to consider the income you're going to get off that ground if you put that towards the payment, then that really knocks down what you got to come up with. Right. And I think more people could afford ground than what they really think. Right. And and you can borrow money right now too. That's that's the nice thing is is we're Low not interest. In a, we're, we're not in a situation with our economy at this point anyway where you can't you can't borrow money for something. So. Well, all righty. Um, go to buyfarm.com uh, and look at this property in Shelby County, Illinois. We want to thank Buyfarm um, to be in our feature sponsor. They support us a lot and uh, obviously uh, offer a lot of uh, uh, land solutions for families and people looking and wanting to sell. So we appreciate their help. Absolutely. So what do we got next? Submitted questions. We all got right. uh, just two this week. I'm glad you only picked two because we're we're – little bit behind schedule of what our normal is so we'll end up probably about the same same spot unless something about wire ties comes back up well i figured you was going to go on a rant and tie up some time so i only yeah. picked two questions this week instead yeah. of three so <laughs> but uh the first question that we have this week is submitted by natalie hesselberg from saline michigan 
Natalie says, my question is about logging my property. My property is 118 acres located in southern Michigan and about 80 acres of timber consisting mostly of mature walnuts, maples, and some oaks. I have heard so many different ways to log a property, I'm not sure what to do. I would like to make some income off of logging now and in the future, but I mostly want to log it to improve the wildlife habitat. I've heard of select cut and clear cut and doing the whole property or in a section of half or quarter of the property and then come back in a few years and do the other sections that didn't get logged. I do not think the property has been logged in a very long time because I do not see any old stumps anywhere. What do you recommend and does your consulting service make recommendations about logging? I absolutely make recommendations about logging when I look at a property. And, and your your other question, um, what do I recommend, is kind of, it, it depends on the property. And I'm just going to go by the information that I have here to look at that you've got about 80 acres of timber on this 118-inch property. So personally, what I would do is I would start, I would log half of that 80 acres. And I would have a logger come in, and I would have him cut it hard. And uh, now that doesn't mean that he cuts, you know, 12-inch trees. But any tree that's got decent value, I would have him cut it, you know, and log it and take it. And then as soon as that logger is done, I would try to have this done in the winter right after hunting season. And then as soon as that logger is done uh, taking the logs out that he wants, I would go in, and uh, it's probably going to take uh, several days, and, and if you can round up some help, that would be even better. But uh, then I would go in, and I would cut any tree left that is never going to have timber or wildlife value. So you, you don't want to cut the young oaks and walnuts and things like that that are going to have value in the future. Talking but about like locust trees and exactly. stuff like that. So soft maples, hackberries locusts um box elder there's just a ton of right. of different trees and, and i would just cut them out and uh it's doing a very aggressive timber stand improvement um and you're going to do a, a number of things by doing such first of all the trees that you are leaving you're you're clearing the competition for those trees to grow at a faster rate and, and you know give you another another timber crop down the road uh, the other thing you're going to do, you're going to put a lot of cover on the ground. You drop those trees, and uh, there's going to be a lot of cover on the ground. And people say, well, why don't you hinge cut them? And, and you could, but why I don't like hinge cutting in this situation anyway is that if that tree is worthless, why keep it alive? If it's so you know, worthless that you're going to cut it, why don't you just kill it instead of having that root system still alive competing with better trees? Um People say, well, when you hinge cut it, that tree's still alive and it's producing browse. The deer can browse on those branches. Yeah, you're right. But if you drop it, a lot of browse species are going to grow up and through that dead treetop. And that treetop laying on the ground can can really protect, you know, like young oaks that are that are sprouting and growing up. If it's growing up through a treetop, it's a whole lot more or less likely to get browsed by a deer and result in a good timber tree years down the road. So I, I would do that heavy timber or heavy TSI cut after timbering on half of that property, and then I would wait at least about 10 years and then come in and do the other half of the property. And the reason for that is you don't want the entire timber to mature up at one time. Um, 
you, you want to diversify a little bit. And 10 years is probably on the short side. I'd wait at least 10 years, maybe more like 15 to 20. But uh, that's going to give you at least 40 acres of really heavy cover, which will be great bedding cover for the deer. And then before that uh, timber matures and canopies over and everything, you're going to come in and you're going to do the other 40. And uh, it's going to be coming along, you know, a decade or so behind the other. But just based on the information I'm given here, that is a general suggestion. Now, when I go look at a property as a consultant, it's going to be a whole lot more specific and detailed. You know, Actually helping choose the trees and, and, and everything like that as far as the, the long-term plan. Yeah, I, I'm not marking the timber per se, but um, it's going to be a very specific plan, you know, like I'm, I'm drawing the line and there's been properties where I've had staggered logging areas, you know, there, there may be four or five different areas on a property to be cut over time instead of the two like we're, we're recommending here. Um, but seeing the property and seeing where bedding and food sources are, you can help identify areas that instead of just, it's not say the left 40 and the right 40, it's the, the right and the wrong 40, basically. It's, yep. it's how do you divide it up to do a long-term plan. It's just hard to get specific um, when all I've got to go on is one little paragraph here describing the sure. place. Um, it, it, when, I, when I visit, it'll be a detailed um suggestion on how to go about logging a property yeah i got two follow-up questions to that question if i can ask you you sure can is it just my area that i come from in kentucky or is it everywhere but it seems like to me everybody that i know that's had their property logged in the last eight nine years it's been a horrible experience if they don't have somebody that they trust and and loggers coming in and doing what wasn't in the plan or, uh, you know, maybe going not within the original parameters. Uh, it seems like there's more bad experiences with those situations than good, at least in my area. And I don't know if that's common everywhere or it's just there's not a specific set plan going in where somebody's, you know, truly helped put a plan together and just say, okay, I want to log half of it. You know, I don't think it's just your area, Terry. Loggers have a reputation just about everywhere that I've worked um, for being uh, a little bit on the shady side, shall we say. But that does not mean there's not good loggers out there. Right. And I, I got some good loggers that I recommend. I, I don't have a good logger for every, you know, state that I, I consult in. But I was going more along the lines not saying they're shady. I'm just saying there there isn't someone almost project managing the thing versus coming up with a true plan, having somebody that can help you make decisions to inform the logger, this is exactly what I want mm -hmm. in the areas I want versus this hillside or, or that oak flat. Well, I, I think a lot of this does fall back on the landowner because I think um, the landowner doesn't understand timber harvest. Mm -hmm. They think a a nice healthy woods is you know has these scattering of big giant oaks and there's no understory it looks like a park and that's what a wood should look like and, and that is not what a wood should look like um, harvesting timber is no different than harvesting corn when it's mature it's time to harvest if you right. don't it goes to waste so you might right. as well harvest it um, you know, I think a lot of it's the expectations of the uh, the landowner they don't that 
I mean, how many times in a lifetime does anyone really have a timber harvested? Right. Most people might do it one time and they're expecting something totally different than what ends up happening. The other thing is, I, I don't think a lot of people really understand what good whitetail habitat looks like. Exactly. And that's that, that regrowth or that second growth, whatever you want to call it, the regeneration of the forest after logging is done, that really thick native cover, native woody vegetation <laughs> is ideal. And it's much more beneficial to wildlife than a mature timber is. So just to clarify before we get all the hate mail from the loggers out there, we're not saying loggers are shady. We're saying that there's a perception out there because a lot of times they're, you're, you guys don't get on the same page as what the landowner is either expecting because even they don't know. So getting people involved that gets to down to the nitty-gritty plan is what we're getting at. It's not mm-hmm. saying, you know, it's, it's just, it's it's... It's the per- yeah. There might be a perception that they are, but there's great guys that run great businesses out there. Absolutely. That they just don't. Whatever the landowner thinks they want isn't what they tell you want, mm-hmm. and it it starts out bad from the beginning. I've got multiple good loggers that I recommend. Yeah. Um. So it's not like they're non-existent. There's some really great ones out there. Um. Along with a few shady ones. Yeah. But. I think the big thing really is people don't understand because more than once I've been to a client's property and and they'll have a mature woods with all kinds of nice big oaks. And I'll say, you need to have a logger come in here and devastate this woods. Everyone, see these big, long, these giant straight oaks that don't have a branch on them for 30 feet? You need to, you need to have every one of them cut and taken out of here. Right. And they look at me like I'm nuts, and they say, are you kidding me? I'm never going to get my wife talked into this. Well, that's a problem I can't help you with. Right. But if you want to improve the habitat, those trees need to be removed. It's time so, for the harvest. So my second question will be easier, but you referenced after that after that property is logged to go in there and cut the, the non-valued trees. That would also be the time in that winter time to start pushing up and making your travel corridors like we did here on your home farm when we when we dropped a bunch. But but that be if you could get a skid loader or a tractor in there and start making those pathways when everything's dropped before that canopy comes because then inside of that area you can start funneling deer to a specific plan where you're going to hunt them in a, in a, in a, in a pinch point. Absolutely. Great point. Um, you want to do all this. You want that timber guy to come in as soon as hunting season's over and as quick as he can get that timber harvest done. Then you immediately want to get in there with your chainsaw and your buddies and their chainsaws, and you want to just level them junk trees. And then before it greens up in the spring, you, you want to plan. You want to create deer travel corridors through that, and you want to bring those deer to specific points past your tree stands but it, it needs to be very uh, a well thought out plan where you're taking the wind into consideration where those deer naturally want to go where your food sources are and how you can get in and out exactly and you can direct those deer out of that 40 acres or however big it is it doesn't matter how big it is you can direct those deer out of that thick bedding area the sanctuary if you will you can lead them right where you want them as they come out and uh, that's what those are the kind of projects that turn a good property into a great property and you know my friend brian Kraft with midwest land group has a saying that more properties have been ruined by following bad advice than anything else and this is a perfect example that 
you know, things have got to be done with a purpose. You don't just go out there and start whacking and stacking trees. It's all with a purpose. It's all part of a grand plan. Right. And that's get a buck within 30 yards or exactly where where you want to be. Get him to live in the middle of that 40-acre thicket you just created, but when he does decide to stand up and move in daylight hours, you want him moving right past your tree stand. Right. All right, that's my last question on that one. All right, well, I hope we uh, answered your question, Natalie. If not, just uh, fire away an email or something and see if we can do better. Um, have a free Chasing Giants uh, shirt coming your way for submitting that question. Uh, so our next one is uh, from Joseph Jansen of Salk Center. I hope I'm saying that right, Minnesota. Um, this is a much shorter question. Joseph says, in your experience, will mature – Five-plus-year-old bucks avoid areas once they see a trail camera. Have you ever seen a mature buck walk around a certain spot to avoid a camera? Absolutely. Absolutely they will. That does not mean every buck will. So, you know, one thing that frustrates me about social media is I'll post something on there. And some guy will get on there and he'll argue and he'll tell me it's wrong because he's seen a buck do something different. Whenever I'm giving you advice, I'm teaching you how to kill the toughest mature buck in the woods because if you can kill the tough ones the easy ones will will you know be very simple so there is definitely bucks that avoid trail cameras Uh, i've seen it with my own eyes that bucks absolutely instead of walking through a gate a wide open gate where every deer in the woods has just walked through a mature buck and there's a trail camera at that gate a mature buck refuses and he'll jump the fence you know, 20 yards away rather than go through that open gate just because he knows there's a camera there. Um, Witnessed that with my own eyes. Uh, Terry mentioned a buck that uh, I'm, I'm watching that uh, I get his picture about one time at a location, that's it. And he looks right at that camera and he's gone. You can just see his eyes. He's looking right at that camera and that's the only time you get his picture and he's gone. Now, sure, there's going to be bucks that you get Trump was like that, wasn't he? He was. Trump was like was. that. And, and he's not the only one that, that I've seen that way. But And then there's other bucks that you get their picture at the same spot day after on a day show for after you. day. And 20 pictures today, 30 tomorrow, 10 the next day, and they don't seem to care. But if you, you, you need to focus your efforts and you need to your, – your hunting approach needs to be with the idea of killing the toughest buck in the woods because if you can kill the toughest buck in the woods, the other ones start coming pretty easy. And uh, the advice that, that we share here – there's going to be exceptions to the rule, um, no matter what that rule is. Um, but if you can kill the tough ones, if you follow the rules to kill the tough ones, the other ones are going to come easy. So to to increase our chances of getting a picture of the toughest buck to kill, what what's what's some ideas to do it? Hang well, your camera high and point it down. What? That's part of it. And the other thing is um, don't have your camera facing straight down that trail where the buck is coming at it, and he's he's walking right at that camera facing it. So, in other words, if he's if that camera is to the side of the trail and he's crossing it, so you're, you're getting a broadside picture of that deer rather than a face-on picture of that deer, he's a lot less likely to see it. Um, around a corner and yep. inside corner something that you can that it's not eye to eye contact and keeping human scent to a minimum around that camera you know the buck's walking along and he smells human scent what's he going to do he's going to lock up he's going to lock up and he's going to 
analyze that situation. He's going to start looking around. He's going to start sniffing. And he's going to stand there for a couple minutes, and eventually he's going to see that camera. And he's, that's when he's, if he's one of those kind of bucks, that's when he's going to bug out. So, you know, there's a lot of cameras that I check by on my four-wheeler without ever leaving the seat of my four-wheeler. I drive right up to it, and I never leave my scent on the ground. Um, there's others where I'm planning, you know, I come up to the back of that tree, um, slip around and, and change the card in that camera. And I never step where I'm expecting that buck to step just to keep my scent down. Um, you, you just got to be as stealthy as possible when you're talking about mature bucks, because some of them are pretty tough customers. And those are the ones that if you can kill them, you can kill any of them. Right. That's a great point. Good question. Yep, for sure. So, Joseph, you'll be getting a free Chasing Giant shirt as well. Sounds good. Yep. What else you got, Terry? Um, I'm ready to hunt. About the next time we're going to be on podcast, it's going to be close to opening day for me. Yep. You're going to get a chance about three weeks before I do because your season opens sooner. And uh, I could go hunt the Ohio opener, which, uh, what is it? It's the, it's the end of September, isn't it? Last Saturday in September, I, I believe. believe. Yeah, something like that. But uh, I, I don't uh, have pictures of a buck in Ohio that I would even – want to shoot at this point so um if that don't happen i'm not i'm certainly not going to drive over there to right to shoot a buck uh smaller than what i'm looking for so yep so um you know we we appreciate everybody's feedback support again the last episode was just baffling how many people were engaged in it i mean we had a lot of downloads but there was <laughs> a lot of people engaged in it so um you know hopefully my rants don't get too awful frequent but Ah, it wasn't bad tonight. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't bad. bad at all. There'll be a, uh, for everybody who complains, send me your address and I'll send you a free zip tie. How about <laughs> that? <laughs> well, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> zip ties are a whole lot cheaper than buying cell cameras to test for everybody. Well, so they're a whole lot cheaper than t-shirts to send people yeah, to. Yeah, there you so. go. So... But we do appreciate everybody's support. We appreciate our sponsors, especially biofarm.com. And, um, you know, as as we get closer to deer season, I know people are going to be more engaged as, as we start talking a little bit more specifically about the bucks that we uh, are getting on camera and maybe targeting. And uh, it'll get to the point we probably will start doing them more frequently um, All right, as, yeah. as we get in the field. So right now, you know, we've been trying every uh, 10, 12, 14 days. Um, depending on how our schedules lay out, but it'll get to the point we're doing them much more frequently during the season so we can try to communicate what we're seeing in the field. So hang around with us, and uh, we appreciate you guys listening and sharing. Uh, so make sure you uh, you go to Higgins Outdoors uh, YouTube channel. Um, do we got any videos coming up here? We got a video that will be released really quick in the next day or so. Um, it's going to be on rope scrapes. Oh, there uh, you I've, go. I've had a lot of questions submitted about rope scrapes. And if that video had been released, I was going to use some of them questions, but it wasn't quite ready yet. Um, but the next couple of days or so, uh, that rope scrape video, and something really interesting about this, uh, when you see that video on the Higgins Outdoors YouTube channel, um, we went in and on my property and we actually hung a rope and went through every step in the process to do that. Now, here about the 1st of September or so, I'm going to put a trail camera on that rope scrape. And we're going to see, and I'm going to post pictures on my social media, my Facebook page, 
uh, from that camera on that rope scrape, we're going to see how many different bucks we get on that one rope scrape in the course of a season. And I'll bet you'll be shocked at how many different bucks hit that rope scrape. Yeah, so for especially um, the people who live in states where they can't use mineral or supplement or attraction for inventory, uh, this is a very, very effective way to get a picture of about every buck on the property and not to mention hunt over it. Right. You know, have a stand close to where they're going to be checking it. So I, I bet you I'll just I'll throw out a prediction here. Well, for one thing, uh, you know, and I mentioned it in the video, you're going to you're going to see this. But uh, I like to hang those ropes in the wintertime and give them about, you know, six or eight months before we go in and put the scent on. Give them time for the rain and everything to wash all the scent off that rope. I have not had really good luck hanging those ropes right before or, or during season. They, that fresh rope just holds too much scent. Um, however, we got this, uh, we, we filmed this probably, you know, over a month ago. So by the 1st of September, that rope is going to have been out there almost two months um, by the time we put the camera on it and everything. And I'm hoping that's long enough that the bucks are hitting, and I'm pretty sure they will. Did you have the rope in a tree for months Yeah, prior it, it that, was hanging so outside. It so. wasn't like you went into Rural King and bought a rope and took it to the woods. You, right. you had it already hanging up getting it ready out in the yard in a tree somewhere yeah but but you need to watch that video um on the higgins outdoors youtube channel and we'd appreciate it if you would subscribe to that channel while you're there but then also follow the higgins outdoors uh, facebook page because throughout the course of the entire hunting season i'm going to post pictures of different bucks on that rope scrape that you see me making the video and we're just going to see how many different bucks hit that rope scrape that'll be cool Yep, for sure. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. And as Don takes us out with uh, thanking all of our partners, uh, please, again, uh, leave some feedback, rank our podcast on the uh, on the network that you're listening it to, and then uh, like Higgins Outdoors' YouTube channel and share them with your friends. We appreciate your support. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We want to also thank our sponsors, buyafarm.com, 360 Hunting Blinds, Quiet Cat Bikes, Real World Wildlife Products, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, and Matthews Archery. See you next time. Thanks to all the zip tie manufacturers. <laughs>